Hello and welcome to Matt Bites, episode 99. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. In this episode, anorexic kit, a distinct lack of appendages and the cat's meow. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good to be back, isn't it? Is that in case you can't find a sound effect? <laughs> I'll have you know that was a genuine cat. Oh. You've lost it already. We've not even got going. <laughs> I have lost Right. Did you bring the teeth? But first, uh, the 2011 MacBook Pro repair program. We've talked about this for the last few uh, episodes. And finally, some good news. Yes, finally being the key word there. Yes. Apple have accepted responsibility for a change, for the failings of the 2011 MacBook Pro. We have mentioned it many times, as we've said, but usually in relation to Apple denying that there is a problem. I think it's a shame it took a 38,000 plus signature petition, though, and a class lawsuit last October. Yeah, but uh, we're getting there now, or they're getting there now, because my MacBook Pro is 2000-something, was it 2009? Yes, you would, you would. Sadly, same problem, but outside... Um, the dates that they allow for this thing. Oh well, never mind. It's worrying though. I mean, if people had, if it was, if it was a product that was a little bit cheaper, you'd probably have let it go because you you just can't keep pushing the the, the problem, can you? You just don't have the time. That is true. Very true. There's so many other things that are going wrong with so many other things that you deal with. You you literally don't have the time anymore. No, it's like push that one to the back of the queue. Someday yeah. maybe. This possibly would be a good point to mention my latest Apple Care adventure. Go on then. But then I thought, well, well, no, no, because I'm going to have to save that. It's a three-parter minimum, honest. And it wasn't my fault. I'll just start with that. No, no, I'm saving it for next time. Fine. Okay. Well, keep listening and you'll find out all about it. Anyway, on to the Apple event last week. Was it last week? Was you see, it? you've lost track of time. Yeah. Again. I think it was it the week before. I can't remember. Anyway, the Apple event. Spring forward. Although this is our first show for a while, we did have a legendary MacBytes Live for the recent Apple event. That was the teeth, wasn't it? My teeth? Yes, that was definitely the teeth. Oh, just now, anyway, yes. <laughs> ultra fast roundup time. Watch. Thinnest MacBook yet. Yes, again. No Craig. Meh. The thinnest MacBook Pro yet, uh, probably also the most expensive MacBook Pro yet, which is... No, it's not. No, it's not. The Pro's more expensive. This one's just sexier. I was going to say it's a bit of um, ironic that the thinnest MacBook Pro yet, which will use the least bit of aluminium, um, is going to be the most expensive, but you've just uh, ruined my gag there. Anyway. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> if I could, yeah, I should get my, <laughs> I should get my fattest right, but then there wouldn't have been a gag in there, would mm. there? Anyway, um, no. no watch. You're not buying one. An Apple product that you're not buying. That's right. Just not compelling for me. Seriously. Whoa there, boy. Don't question it. Just be grateful. He's right, you know. So no, I, I just, I, I haven't worn a watch for many, many years. I use the phone. So the fact that. You know, it's a watch, therefore primary. Would you say the primary thing is to tell the time? I don't think people are going to use it for that. I think it's a toy. And um, if an app came out that I thought can't live without that app, then I'd probably buy one. But other than that, no, it really just was just like, mm, OK, 
nice. You know, if, if you're into watches, if you want that particular watch, if, if you... I guess the only thing at the moment is this health malarkey. You know, if you want to use it as a stepper or something like that, you know, a track thing. Yeah, I can see the benefit of that. I can't honestly see the benefit of spending 10 grand on the gold one, though. Of course, you might be able to put me right on that. No, I, I totally agree with you. And um, I'm not buying a watch for the same reason. I haven't uh, won a watch for a few years. Having said that, you know, and am I trying to talk myself into one? No, uh, no. Having having said that, um, you know, my history before the iPhone with phones, um, I hardly used a phone to make a phone call. I didn't do any texting because I couldn't use the old keyboard. Um now, you know, now we've got QWERTY keyboard on there. Yes, you're a, you were a dovery old <laughs> fool with it, you mean. So were you. I, I'm not. I wasn't claiming anything different. I wasn't trying to deny it. No, I didn't send texts either. Couldn't couldn't work it out. But anyway, they bring out a phone and I'm thinking I must have one of those, even though I don't make many phone calls or um, make, do many texts. But, you know, I hardly use it for the phone and texting anyway. So if I did have a watch, I'm... Like you say, there has to be some compelling reason uh, because I can get my iPhone out and look at the time. I can look at the top corner of my iMac or the bottom corner of my Windows machine and see the time. Um, if I'm in a, a training room, there's a clock in there, but as you well know, it's usually out of, uh, I was going to say out of date, um, not not telling the right time. So the ha there has to be some compelling reason to actually buy the watch. I heard a dirty rumour, and I believe this is only a dirty rumour, that some people don't spend all day sat in front of a computer with a handy clock in the top corner. Which people are they? Like I say, I think it's possibly just a dirty rumour, but that's what I heard. No, I agree with you. If it had some app, so I'm just going to sit here and, and wait for some killer app to come along and then no doubt I'll buy one. But until then, it doesn't fit me. But if it fits you, that's awesome. Congratulations. Excellent. So what about the MacBook? There was a lot of drooling in the MacBook department, I seem to recall, from the event. Not from me. No, that was me. Yes. As he was going through it, I thought, oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and then it all came crashing down for me. Did it? You know what it was, don't you? The lack of uh, ports. Yes, it was a bit horrifying, wasn't it? I understand where they're going and I understand why, but that's not the point. I do like to have some degree of flexibility. And although they've brought out all these um, adapters that you can carry around as well, I've already got a drawer full of those and none of them are compatible with this. And they're not cheap either. So I like the stuff that they brought out, you know, the keyboard, the butterfly keys. That looked handy because they do kind of tilt for me when I'm typing on it. Um, the trackpad sounded awesome. Uh, the fact it's incredibly light, good battery life, all the rest of it. Absolutely, that was great. That was great. I was just thinking, if I take a laptop out, I might need to plug it in and I'd like some kind of flexibility and I don't want to buy all the adapters again. So at the moment, I find it quite strange that they've kind of got that machine and in my mind, it's competing with the MacBook Air. I was thinking, actually, um, I've just got another machine from work. It's, um, it's a Windows machine, obviously, but it's only got two USB ports on it. The other one that I had had three USB ports on it. So this one's only got two. So if I plug in my mouse and I plug in my um, headset, which I need for making link calls and, and, and audio calls, then 
if I need to plug in, um, which I have been doing this week, um, a pen drive, I've got to unplug the uh, the headphones, the headset. Um, so just like you want, you don't want to carry around a whole load of, of chargers, um, I'm finding it impractical with two at work on this Windows machine. So you know, heaven help me with uh, a new MacBook, a new MacBook. Yeah, none. That's what I think they're forgetting, but it's obviously not intended for people like us. I, I would hasten to qualify that with people actually using the thing, but I guess it, it's what you're using it for. I think Apple have this um, iconic image in their mind, and it's probably mostly true as well, of, of a person going in the Apple store, buying it, moving on to Starbucks and then sitting writing a bestseller. And they're not talking to anybody, so they don't need a headset. And their music's coming from their iPhone, so they don't need that either. So they literally just need a machine with decent battery life and just to sit typing. And if you, whatever you're writing in, be it a text editor or up to Scrivener, it can probably handle that very, very well. If you're into video editing or broadcasting training or something like that, then probably less so. So I think that's their ideal customer and that's who it's built for. And that's not us, is it? Mm, no, fair enough. I still wanted one, though. It was it was pretty. Well, apart from the gold one. Why do they make the gold ones? Who buys the gold ones? Because literally, I remember when I got my phone, a couple of people came back to me and said, oh, congratulations. Uh, it wasn't the gold one, was it? And it makes me think, like, if you liked the gold one and you bought it, do you actually admit it or do you just stick it in a case? Because so many people seem to not like the gold one. And I must admit, when I looked at the laptops, um, they they kind of left the silver one off the images obviously because the space gray it is space gray isn't it yeah the black one and the gold one were new and i looked at them and i said they do make this in silver don't they <laughs> maybe i'm just a bit traditional but i haven't heard one single person say i like the gold one i would buy the gold one no i i, I haven't heard anyone saying that they buy one at all to be honest i obviously don't listen to the right people <laughs> Yeah, I'm probably seeing it with writers who are very excited. Mm. Mm. So on on definitely on the fence with that one at the moment. I, I like the idea of the improvements. And I can see that down the line they will what would you say what's the word I'm looking for? I was actually thinking of strip bear, the ports on all the others. Um rationalise the line, I think is probably what they'll say. And you know, we probably won't miss it. I mean, do you miss your parallel port anymore? No, but I had no use for it. I have got use for USB ports. Can I just say I'm sat here in my little studio looking at a shelf with 30 zip disks on it. Do I miss my parallel port? <laughs> Fair enough. Mm. <laughs> I think between us, we did have a zip drive. Remember the old blue zip drives um, that was USB? Yeah, I was just going to say we had a USB. But I'm looking at these discs thinking, good grief, they were £10 each. And I haven't had the heart to throw them away. They're still sat there. I doubt very much whether I could read them with anything or not. Mm. So you do, time does move on. But I think they're forgetting the fact that the rest of the world doesn't move on quite as fast as they do. And I bet you struggle at work, or you would, with a MacBook Pro to find something to plug it into to project it at work without a load of adapters. I probably would, yeah, I would. But I bet you could use your Windows machine, even that skinny thing, the new one, I bet you could just plug a VGA projector into that one. Yeah, no problem. Exactly. This is what they're forgetting. And I just don't fancy the huge bag of adapters that I'm already carrying, to be honest. But anyway, yes, uh, nice event, though. Nice to see Kit and Lust after it and then 
literally just walk away. It's a bit like going into a restaurant, isn't it? And looking at the dessert trolley and saying, yes, it's all very nice, but you know what? I just don't fancy any. And not feel that you're depriving yourself. Is this just a me thing? I don't know. <laughs> all right, you think I'm strange. Anyway, no sooner had the curtain come down on that March event than speculation began about what Apple would be unveiling in June at WWDC. According to a piece I read on BuzzFeed, Apple will finally update the Apple TV. I know, the old ones are the best, aren't they? The last update was 2012, but rumour has it... We don't do rumours, do we? No. OK, speculation has it... He won't notice the edit there. Speculation has it, new hardware, I'll believe it when I see it, an app store, I can see the benefit of that. But more importantly, Siri on the Apple TV. Like I don't have enough to do already. So is the hobby finally going to become a more serious business? It could well be, although um, I don't actually use Siri. I've got Siri on the iPhone 4S. Um, I don't think we've, we've told people, have we, that my, my iPhone 4 started doing very strange things. Um, it wouldn't charge. And I literally had one cable. I've got about half a dozen charging cables. I had literally one cable in the whole house um, that would charge it. So Yeah, but that was a physical thing. It wasn't a battery thing. It was actually popping the cable out, wasn't it? It was. It was very strange. Even when I took the um, the case off, it was still popping it out. It just refused to, to charge. I literally had to carry this one cable around with me. So when you got your iPhone 6, I've got your iPhone 4S. And after about a week, I had to charge my iPhone 4 because I'm, I'm using the iPhone 4 as, as, as just like... um. Um, connecting to, to to the Wi-Fi and stuff, like an iPod Touch. Pretty yeah, like an iPod Touch. Um, and it started charging again with any cable, um, which was incredibly handy because the 4S that I gave you that was working perfectly. Yeah, that's that seems to be um, having the battery life drained out of it very very quickly. Um, I think that needs a rebuild. But no, the point I was going to make was that even though I've now got Siri. And it's the first time I've had Siri. Um, I don't use it. It's not an it. It's a he. Oh, I don't use. Mm. I don't use him. <laughs> <laughs> I I do, but more for like um, you know, like I just pick up my phone and say, "Set me a reminder for X," mm. rather than I don't make a, a particular song and dance of sitting down and actually deliberately doing stuff. It's just that if that's the quickest way, then then I'll use it. Um, but back to the Apple TV, I actually use. I mean, we know that we, we've got Apple TVs. I got an Apple TV literally to use for presentations. So that is, I, I treat that like an adapter. It goes in my laptop bag. And then when I go out, I, I have it with me. If I have access to a HDMI screen, then I can present to it via AirPlay. So that that's awesome. But I don't actually treat it as a TV box. And I'm sure the MacBiters know that we've got um, a Nout V box, a knee Nout V box. It's now the Fox box, only channel that's got anything on it, the Fox box. Um, but there's also an Amazon Fire TV that I got. I actually use the Apple TV the least, but the Fire TV, I think, is great. Uh, obviously, there's a lot more to watch if you've got Amazon Prime. But you know that thing they did in the the, uh, the launch event they had? where they talk to it, that there's a remote control and they talk to it. Yeah. You remember that? It actually works. And it's pretty accurate. So instead of all this navigation thing, I mean, the navigation on the Apple TV is shocking, always has been, probably always will be, unless they do something decent with it. But this talk to it business, it really does work. 
So add that to Amazon Prime and, and I'll find that that one's probably got more use. I just treat the Apple TV as a connector for a projector and that's it. So I, I'm, I'm waiting to be wowed in June. Do you think it'd be worth buying a TV for? No, no. No, no, no. I'm mm. being silly, aren't I? I wonder, they could do so much more with it, though, couldn't they? For, um, you know, in a professional capacity for presenters. They could. I'm getting quite excited now. I should get a grip of myself. I should just look at Keynote and realise they've no, <laughs> no interest whatsoever in people who present anything at all. Uh, silly me. But I live in hope if I die in despair. We'll see. See what happens. Should we move on to something totally different and talk about selfie sticks? Oh, this is totally different. All yes, right. mm. Self, selfie sticks. Following on from the ban of large phones from football stadiums, which we talked about a while back, comes news of another ban. But this time it's selfie sticks, as Manchester United and Manchester City have banned selfie sticks from the Etihad, which is City Stadium, and Old Trafford, which is United Stadium. Who uses these things? And why? Um, young girls, I believe. Really? What do you know about young girls? Um, yeah, let's move on. Mm. I'm, I'm not feeling the love for selfie sticks. Uh, twit sticks, as I call them. But apparently there's a new spin on it anyway. Selfie sticks all old hat. It's now the pop stick. You're, you're wondering, aren't you? I am. Yes. It's... Well, obviously, like you said, young girls, I think it's, it probably is a, a, it's a young person sport, isn't it? And you've got that thing of you have to carry it, don't you? It looks like a truncheon to me. <laughs> you know, one of these extendable truncheon things. Um, <laughs> so obviously the problem is you've got to have somewhere to put it, <laughs> as it were. I could think of a few places. But um, this pop stick is fabric and it wraps around your wrist. What you then do is you take it off. And it's like some kind of military grade material. And you kind of flick it forward. This is not good in, on an audio show, is it? You flick it forward and um, it becomes rigid enough to hold a phone at the end of it. And then when you finish, you roll it back up again and wrap it around your wrist. So the idea is that more people will buy it, particularly men, because it's easier to carry around. It's still a selfie stick, though, isn't it? It is, yeah. But so you put it on your wrist. Yes. What about the watch? Oh, you're going to run out of appendages, aren't you? You are. Mm, good thinking. Yeah. I still think it's, it's idiotic, but far be it from me. I think if you've got a camera, you'd be taking pictures of, of your surroundings and other people, not necessarily yourself. Right. There's something illogical about that, but never mind. Okay. Mm. Should we go on to something that's actually about computers? Oh, yes, please. Okay. Um, Office 2016 for the Mac. A teasing preview from Microsoft. Yes, it's the first preview of the very new, very latest version of Office for Mac. About time. About time. It's been a while. It's got Word, Excel, PowerPoint, uh, Outlook and OneNote in it. And thankfully, the biggest change I've seen so far is the interface. <gasps> Do you remember 2011? I do. I've got it in front of me. I had to, I had to use it when I had to use it, but but my uh, whole rationale with it was, oh dear, I've got to use something in Office. Get in there, get out, and literally the interface was horrible. Well, the new one is much improved. It's Retina ready. Um, I don't have a Retina Mac of any description, but I've heard tell it's gorgeous. So I'll I'll go with that. Uh, to me, what was more important was it was a much, much, in capitals, better install experience. You probably didn't notice 
you'd certainly notice if it was as badly behaved as the last one. Um, the first thing it does is it puts the apps in the applications folder. You wouldn't think that was difficult for an installer, would you? But if you remember last time, it created a subfolder, Microsoft Office 2011, and it stuck them in there. Now it doesn't. It puts them where, where they're supposed to be, like all the other apps. And another thing the old installer used to do was put icons on your dock. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. First job, get rid of them. But it annoyed me that it did that because, you know, the dock, you've only got so much real estate for the dock. I think it's presumptuous to, to assume that you want them there, especially with Alfred and the new version of Spotlight. Anyway, it doesn't do that anymore either. Uh, and no reboot required. I had the whole thing downloaded and installed in under five minutes. Now, admittedly, I've got a decent internet connection, but it did install in under two minutes, which was, I thought, amazing. So once I'd had a look at it and build and cooed over the interface, I then got down to the really important things. How important is Word these days? And I thought about it and thought, when was the last time you sat down, open Word and started creating a document? And literally, I did have an answer for that as well. You're surprised, aren't you? And I thought I can tell you exactly when that was. It was 2006. Because there are now much better alternatives for written projects. Most of mine start in Scrivener. If not Scrivener, then the magnificent Ulysses review shortly. Uh, and I use those because I use Markdown. And Markdown's so much more flexible. Seems to me that Word is still mired in the days when the written word was intended only for print. So if I put something into Word, it's not going to be easy to get it out of there with some kind of semantic format. So, you know, the headings and bold italic underline, etc. coming out of it in HTML. I know there is a published to HTML thing, but it makes the most horrific HTML you've ever seen. So it's great for print, but I'm not seeing me sitting down and using it. I'm wondering if other people are. I mean, it isn't going to go anywhere. Certainly not quickly, because it is that default standard, isn't it? It is. But it seems to me I'd only use it as the destination for final output. I wouldn't use it as a working environment. Do you use it that way? Uh, I use it at work uh, quite a lot. I I personally use it mainly for creating what we call tip sheets or um, one-page how-do-I guides. Um, although, if I could, uh, I would use probably Clarify. Um, mm. I do know that um, a lot of people where I work use it for other documents, um, uh, standard operating procedures and, and things like that. So there, there are a lot of technical documents that um, need a word processor. I can see that. But when those documents are created, gone are the days when you probably do hit the print button you will probably output that to some other format, maybe PDF, probably PDF in, if in the case of a technical document, maybe HTML, and then you need to put it somewhere that people can access it. Otherwise, there is precious little point in creating it in the first place. And that's my point. It's quite limited in its output. Yeah. I know Scrivener has now got a site-wide license um, in Cambridge University, which I think is quite forward-thinking of them. Obviously, a lot of research going on there. So Scrivener excels at research. I think Word's much more use in conjunction with the Microsoft templates. You can go online and you can get templates, but they're not templates. I mean, you can get report templates and stuff like that. 
But the ones that are the most use, I think, are the calendar templates, the schedule templates. And I think obviously they are not something that you would do in Markdown. That they are the layout is incredibly important, and that's why I would use that. Um, and the other thing I thought that yes, you'd still need it for that is sort of intensive process jobs like mail merge. I can see the benefit in it for that. But other than that, I really did question the significance of Word. Luckily, I thought there's probably more importance with Excel, which is your area. It is, yes. Yeah, there's um, a few new features in Excel. They've added the analysis tool pack, which is all to do with statistical functions. Uh, I think that will be available only to, well, not available, but you know, useful and of interest to a limited number of people. Although it's nice to see that feature now being added, which was uh, has always been there in the Windows version. Uh, pivot table slicers, which is a great new feature, all to do with being able to quickly uh, filter information that's um, in a pivot table. But now they've also added um, or made the keyboard shortcuts to be compatible with the Windows version. So a good example of that is um, F4 to make um, a cell reference absolute in a formula which in the Mac was, um, I think it's Command and T or Control and T. And um, now it's, you can still use that, but F4 has always been the one that I've used. Um, and now you can use that in here as well, which is great. It means that uh, that, that muscle memory, you don't have to, uh, to, to go away and think about the Mac uh, shortcut particularly. So yes, there's a... I don't use Excel that much that I'd actually notice that the keyboard shortcuts weren't the same. I'd probably crank up a VM to use Excel because, like I said, the interface used to annoy me so much. I think it's quite surprising it's taken that long. My first thought was, how long before Apple make the thing even thinner and even smaller and there are no function keys? Mm. I can see the day. I Let's can. not go there. <laughs> You're worried now. They've only just fixed it and then Apple will go and break it. Uh, PowerPoint's where I spend most time and there are nice new features and some useful features. Yes, take note, Apple, useful features for presenters. Sections are awesome. I think you were playing around with sections when you were actually doing a presentation, weren't you? Yeah. That has been missing in every presenter's thing. But if you think about it, having sections of a presentation is actually incredibly important. Um, and their implementation of it is quite nice as well. You may have some slides that you're doing before a demonstration, for example, so you can put them together within one section and then move on to another section. So I, I really like that. They've got a new presenter view. Um, it displays the current slide, the next slide, notes and a timer. And then obviously you can have your slides on a big screen or your main screen. There's also a thumbnail track at the bottom and that thumbnail track is always on. And that is actually quite useful. But the most useful thing that's in there is there is an area where you can add notes. So it's a dedicated note taking area during the delivery. So if you think about delivering a presentation, I think in Keynote, you can actually add to the notes while you're delivering, but then they all get mixed in together. There is only one note taking area. But you know, when you're doing a presentation and somebody asks a question and you say, yes, I've got a document about that. I'll send it to you. Yeah. And then you're frantically looking for a pen because mm. your computer is delivering a presentation. It looks very unprofessional to come out of um, keynote or PowerPoint and then make a note and then go back into it. This area gives you a dedicated note taking area during the presentation. You don't have to come out of it. You just click in it and then you just type. And that's actually incredibly useful. So I really like that. 
I found it interesting, the handling of a three monitor setup, because there, there seems to be no logic to how any presentation application handles multiple monitors. And it struggles with one, you know, once you add more on. The main screen had the slides on it and the secondary screen had the presenter view, which was what I expected. But I was wondering what the third screen would show. Now in Keynote, the main screen has the slides and the secondary and third screen both have the presenter view, which can be quite disorientating, believe me. What I wanted when I looked at Keynote, well, apart from more options, um, was to have the third screen ignored. Just pretend it's not there. And that way I can put things on it that I can refer to. And you talked about that in relation to presenting uh, presenters notes. Well, no, not presenters notes, notes that are in Evernote or something like that, yeah. that you can't <clears throat> see. Mm. And obviously you then have to use an iPad as well, which is when, why, when I present, the desk is full of iPads and, and I've actually got an old 3G phone and that's my timer. It sits there and I can see my countdown, you know, for, for when the shepherd's going to come on with a hook and get rid of me. Um, in PowerPoint, the third screen is totally ignored. It is completely ignored. So you can put anything on it you like. You can see it, but you're not limited to your presenter view and your audience can't see it at all, which I think is great. Really important for presenting virtually, but to be honest, very little's changed with the presenter view since the only option was a projector. And I seriously think they're missing an opportunity. They need to talk to those actually trying to use the software in a more modern context, because at the moment it's inflexible. They just need to add some options. I don't think options are ever a bad idea. But Apple and Microsoft seem to have a problem with that. You know, why won't you let me decide not which screen is the primary one and stuff, but why won't you let me decide that I don't want it on that screen? I just want it on this screen or I want it on one out of three or two out of three or three out of three. If I'm crazy, you know, I've got nothing else to see. But there is ve still very little as far as I'm concerned in relation to real customization. I don't think they do talk to the people who are actually using it. And it certainly wasn't designed for presenting virtually, was it? No. If you think about presenting virtually, the thing is, you could, well, you will have some kind of control room for the system you're using. So if you're using WebEx, there is a WebEx presenter view, isn't there? Yeah. Um, the, the deliverer's interface. If you're in Connect, you have a single window um, where you can see, they're called pods, they're sections of the screen. You can also see the attendee list. You can see the presenters chat. You can see the general chat. And obviously it's a benefit to be able to see all of that, even when you're presenting. I know I probably am a unique case that I don't just have one of those control windows. I have two because I'm presenting via Connect for the chat aspects of it and all of that. But I'm also broadcasting it live to YouTube at the same time. So I also have a whole application set up for that. So that's on this third screen and it is handy to be able to monitor that. And that's why I think I, I would just like the control of it. I think that's why when you, when you attend a lot of virtual training sessions, people don't present the slides. They go into that, um, what's that view? Like the thumbnail view on the side. Sort of view. Yeah, slide sort of view. And, you know, may, maybe if they're 
clever, they'll try and turn the toolbar off. But a lot of them don't even do that. They just take PowerPoint, they size the window so it virtually fits the screen and then click from slide to slide. And the problem with that is you're working your head because you can see the thumbnails. You're also probably mentally thinking how many slides till the end, aren't you? <laughs> Most people do that anyway. So, um, and also, if you're in if you're in slide edit mode, which is actually what I meant, not sort of you, the thumbnails are on the left mm. in edit mode. You can see the speakers' notes at the bottom. Exactly, and you can't hide that because if you can see them, the audience can see them. It's just not intended in any way, shape, or form for people presenting virtually. But more and more people are presenting virtually and they are completely missing a trick. And this is what I don't understand. I mean, we know that Microsoft presenters, do you remember the, the sessions they used to have on a Tuesday? Mm. They are presenting virtually as well. And even though they're Microsoft and they've got more money than sense to buy kit, you've still got that limitation that it doesn't matter how much money you've got, you can't fix that. You know, if you had 20 machine um, monitors attached to your computer, they'll all go blank. There's nothing you can do. There is no control of it. So options, people, options. Microsoft, please, because I've given up talking to Apple. Oh, their idea of options, are that they'll all show presentive or they'll all show nothing and go away. That's it. You're done. Uh, but anyway. What do we think generally overall, apart from presentive view? I think it's much improved over the, pre the previous version. I think there's some nice features in there. So do I. And I just think the interface alone is probably worth the upgrade. But should we expect Windows Mac parity at last between the apps? That would be nice. Do we think we'll see it? Mm, not totally at this stage, no. No, I don't think so either. I think what they might do, which is a bit of a cop out, but very clever, is say that there is, you know, 99% parity between the Windows version and the Mac version. And then... The extra bits, and I'm thinking of things like Power Map for Excel and various other, usually plugins for Excel, aren't they? Extra yeah. charts and things will be made available via the Office Store. And that way you can extend it. So the Office Store is a little bit like the Mac App Store. Only what I'm talking about here is not buying Office from the Office Store. Imagine you've got Office installed on your Mac already. You would then tunnel through to the Office store and you would buy little extras, plugins, add-ins, if you like, that extend Office. That's what's happening on the Windows side, but I've not seen anything saying that that is going to be available on the Mac side. But it's one way of Microsoft trimming down the installer by taking the what they would consider advanced features and putting them in the Office store available for free. So, Yes, we've got parity. Oh, and if you want it to work like it used to, here's all the stuff in, in the office store to make it work that way. Oh, and it might only work with Windows. I don't know. It might work with the Mac, in which case that would be alarmingly wonderful. But I'm not seeing that yet. Are you? No. Because there's no way you could do that with 2011. So, And 2016, it is only the first preview. So... Yeah, I think you're going to have to wait for previews two, three and four, probably to actually see the whole thing and whether it would be able to do that. They've said they'll update it regularly. Um, each build that you download expires 60 days after the release of it. And it's supposed to be the official launch sometime this year, quarter three, quarter four. I can't see them doing it in the summer, but they still have this RTM, don't they? Release to manufacture. They do. And then there's a trickle down and it, you know, it'll be in the store two months later or something 
Now, it will be part of existing and new Office 365 subscriptions, but as yet no official word on standalone boxed product pricing. I'm not actually surprised about that because however much it is, I think it's going to be a lot more than an Office 365 subscription and you will only get a single install. So I really can't see the point of that myself. But uh, we are currently one session into a four-part deep dive of the new Office 2016 for Mac Preview. You can view the first session on demand on YouTube. We'll stick a link in the show notes. And you can attend the remaining sessions via MacBytes Learning. The Word one is on the 26th of March. The Excel one is the 2nd of April. And PowerPoint is on the 9th of April. You'll find all the details at macbyteslearning.co.uk. Now, talking of training sessions, you've got a toy. I have got a toy. It is an app and it's called Plantronics Instant Meeting. And how it came about was um, the other day at work, I was just settling down to do something. Can't remember what it was, but it certainly wasn't what I ended up doing. And my boss came to me and she said, have you got half an hour just to look at an app? and write um, a short one-page user guide about it. She said um, somebody had been onto her and apparently there's a load of people at a conference who had all been told or suggested that they should install this app. It's a free app called Instant Meeting. Um, it's not one of our official um, approved apps, but a load of people at this conference have been talking to each other and somebody had obviously said, no, you should install this app. And at the end of the day, a load of people had installed it um, and they, they'd installed it and didn't actually know how to use it. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? Anyway, um, what is it? What's it all about? Well, for anyone who's not familiar with dialing into a, a teleconference or a, a TC, as we call them at work, you lucky, lucky people. imagine that you've Sorry? You lucky, lucky people. Yes. Imagine that you've been invited to a meeting with 10 other people and you can't meet physically as some people are in the UK and some are in the USA. You don't need to do a screen share. You just need to talk. And one of your colleagues has organised the meeting. So he has an account with a teleconference provider. And in the email that he has sent to all the meeting attendees, he's included two dial-in telephone numbers and an access code. And the dial-in numbers and the access code, they are provided by the teleconference provider. And one dial-in number is a UK number, the other one is a USA number. Each participant dials the appropriate number and then they get an automated voice that says, welcome to the conference call. And then they ask them to type in their access code. And once they've done this, they'll be connected to the meeting. We now, should put a link into that YouTube video. I was thinking about that. When you know we were, the one we, I mean? Yeah, when we were preparing What it's this. really like, not the theory, yes. what it's really like. Yes, and that way anyone, anyone who's never dialed into a, a, a teleconference will get the full experience. Oh, that is the full experience. It is. I, I, I will warn people it is a parody, but uh, it is the truth. <laughs> Trust me, I, I've heard him. It's the truth. <laughs> Anyway, onto the app, um, Instant Meeting, <coughs> which is um, available for iOS and Android, provides you with one touch connection to any conference call. The way it works is that it automatically identifies conference call dial-in numbers and access codes in your calendar appointments. And it can also send you a reminder as well just before the meeting. Now on iOS, the first time you run the app, it will go through a series of questions. So it asks you for permission to access your calendar, which you've got to do. Uh, whether you want it to send uh, notifications, you can 
opt out of that and whether you want it to access your current location which is quite useful because what it will do where there are um, multiple dial-in numbers it will select the most appropriate one for you every time you run the app it synchronizes to your calendar and then it displays a list of your upcoming appointments that in its opinion contain a telephone number and a, and a conference code now, sometimes it gets that wrong. For example, um, I had a face-to-face -face meeting at work in a room and the room number was 2345, for example, and it thought that was a conference code number. So it doesn't always get it right. But if you tap on the meeting, so you pick your meeting, you tap on the meeting and the next screen that comes up displays the meeting details. And at the top of the screen are the dial-in number and the access code, assuming those are correct. They have been picked up by the app from the body of the meeting invitation. And if there is more than one dial-in number, like um, in my example, there was a USA one and a UK one, then the first one from the body of the uh, meeting invite is pre-selected. And if you want to select a different one, all you do is tap on the the dial-in number and it, it moves that up to the top section of the screen. Then all you do to connect to the meeting is literally tap the call button that's at the bottom of the app. And the app uses the built-in phone app to dial into the conference, so you do need a phone signal and you are then obviously using the phone um, on your device, so you can't make other calls, you can't take other calls. What it does is it calls the dial-in number and then as soon as the dial-in number um, answers with this automated voice, it then automatically enters, in uh, inverted commas, the access code and connects you to the meeting. So it, it literally is um, a couple of taps and dials you into the meeting. Sounded perfect to me. Uh, I will be testing it out tomorrow or one of your sessions, but I did a quick test today. Uh, it found two events on my calendar, like you're saying, they weren't telecons. They were two sessions and it said Office 2016. So it obviously took the 2016 and saw it as a number. What I thought was I don't really want to be looking. I could I could imagine I'd have 20 or 30 sessions over three weeks that weren't telecons. and I didn't want to see them. So I wondered if I could delete them. It is actually really easy and you don't delete them from the calendar because that was your concern. If you delete them, would you delete them from the calendar? There's an edit button in the top right and you're actually just hiding them. So you could even hide one that is a telecon that you didn't want to use that system for. So and no, it didn't delete them from the calendar and you can add them back. It doesn't remove them. It just really hides them, which I thought was great. My concern was more... Um, that it would be interesting to see how it handled the numbers because not all telecon num numbers are free. When I dial into a telecon, I do it via Skype. So I'm looking for a number that's free on Skype. And I was using the 0808 number, which is free on Skype. And you said you'd have to check that number if you're using a mobile. And when I did, I'm with 02. And there's a whole page, I'll put a link into the show notes for that, that gives you a list of all the, all the numbers. Uh, to see what price they would be. And I found that 0808 numbers, even though they are supposedly a free phone number, are not free from a mobile. So I had to change my telecom code to 0208, which wouldn't be free from Skype, but is free from a mobile because it, it's treated as a normal landline number. I thought that was just confusion for the sake of it. But I mean, it's nothing to do with this app. It's just the way telecom companies work, isn't it? It is. It's 02, it's BT, it's whoever. 
The 0870 number, you know, like is the traditionally expensive number, but some 08 numbers are now free, both landline and mobile, but others are not. And I don't know about you, I can remember the 08 part of these numbers, but I don't you know, mentally have a list of 15 others at the end no. to, to know instantly which are free and which aren't. There's also the advent of these other numbers, 03 numbers. Now, I had to ring an 03 number and there was no way around this. It was some kind of call centre and I had no choice. I had to ring this 03 number and I just grabbed a landline phone to ring it because I thought I've not got time to be finding out how much this costs from a mobile. And I worked on the principle it was bound to be cheaper on a landline, which is usually fairly safe, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I have un unlimited minutes, but depending on whether this was a free number or not. So I dialed it from a landline and I was on the phone for no more than sort of five, four to five minutes. When the bill came in, it was like £1.85. And I thought, good grief. You know, was I ringing a sex chat line there? Um, but no. But I then found out, as I did a bit of research on it, that 03 numbers, including the ones I was ringing, so it's a standard across the board, all 03 numbers are free on 02. So I could have saved myself a fortune there. So you do have to be quite careful, don't you, about the number that you ring. You do. But then I, I came to the conclusion, do you know what? It takes me longer to research the price of the call than to actually make the call. Mm. So apart from that, um, which I guess you might have to do more than once. I was thinking you might only have to do it once. But when I'm dialing into you, it's always the same telecom details, isn't it? It is. But a lot of other times when I've got uh, virtual sessions online, they're not. Each one's different. So you would have to do that each time. I guess you'd get used to the numbers, though. Then you would know that an 0808 is not free and uh, an 03 is. So as long as they make enough numbers available... And I think it's pretty safe to say, at least on 02, that all landlines are included. Then you should be fairly safe with that. But it's an awesome app, isn't it? It is. It's a great app. I'll report back how it goes with you at work and me here. Okay. Rather than us sadly sitting next to each other and testing it. <laughs> Shouldn't admit that, should we? No. Uh, this is what we do. It's all in the interest of research. Anyway, um, following on from our three-part look at various aspects of WordPress, um, this time we're changing tack and we're focusing on the WordPress database and how to work directly with it. And I um, want to look um, this episode at uh, something called a SQL Pro, which is a Mac app. Now, when you install WordPress on your site, it installs a bunch of files and these files are the actual WordPress application. They contain the code to make uh, the WordPress application actually work. And it also installs a database on your website. So all the text-based content for your website is stored in the database. So, for example, when you create a blog post, the content of that post is stored as a single record in the posts table of the database along with things like the post date, the category, and several other pieces of information. Any images that you have, so any JPEGs, any PNGs, for example, are stored outside the database, but are referenced by their URL. Now, if somebody sub submits a comment, as many of you do on the show notes on the MapBytes site, it's stored in the comments table, along with things like the name and the email address of the person who submitted it, uh, the date it was submitted, the ID of the post that it relates to. And all the configuration information is stored in the database too. So things like the uh, website URL, um, the admin usernames and passwords, although they are encrypted, 
and plugin information is often stored in the database as well. I think we discussed plugins in one of our previous episodes, but these are little add-in applications that uh, give more functionality to WordPress. So um, not the plugins themselves, they're not stored in the database, but configuration information usually is. Um, now, sometimes you need to access the database directly. Um, many times you don't, but as an example, um, if we take the Excel trainer, which as many of you know, is one of the websites that I have, each tutorial that I write is a post. And what I wanted was I wanted a spreadsheet that listed all the tutorial titles and all the dates. I'm not gonna go through uh, what I did with that, but I did need a spreadsheet that had that information. MapBytes Learning, I wanted a list of all the training sessions that we've delivered and the dates they were delivered. And the same with my own personal blog, I wanted um, a list of all the blog uh, post titles. Now, there might also be times where you need to access the database directly to uh, troubleshoot. You might uh, need to change data that can't be changed via the web interface. So there are quite a number of, of, of reasons that you might need to access the database directly. Now, you may be able to access the database via your web host control panel. We can go into through, we can log into our web host control panel and um, we can use a tool that's, uh, that's built in there to actually access the data in the database. Um, but to be honest, it is quite unfriendly. It's not the, not the easiest of um, ways to do it. So it is better to use something like uh, SQL Pro, which is free. It's a free app. It's for um, OS X, as I said before. So what you do, you start by creating a connection to your database. So you'll need the database name, the username and the password. Now, these are not your WordPress uh, login details. You will have defined those um, pieces of information, the database name, the database username and the password when the database was first created during the WordPress installation. And you can actually connect to as many databases as you like. So um, like, for example, if we've got 10 websites uh, that are running on WordPress and each uh, website has got a database connected to it, then uh, you would need or you could have 10 connections. So each connection has a name to identify it uh, within the app. And you can actually connect to any MySQL database. So it doesn't just have to be the WordPress ones. Now, a recent enhancement is the ability to export the connection definitions. So that's useful for backup and, and for sharing. So, for example, if you wanted to have um, a copy of all the database definitions, rather than setting them up from scratch, I can just export them, give them to you, and then you can import them. Once you're connected to a database, you get a list down the left-hand side, which is all the tables in the database. You double-click to open one. You see the uh, table connect containing the data, and you can do things like sorting the table. You can delete a row, for, so delete a record. You can add a new record. You can edit the data, and you can export to a CSV, which can then be opened in Excel. And that's exactly how I did what I needed to do. 
It has a query editor built in, so it allows you to write your own queries using SQL, which is the structured query language that databases understand to get data out. And that's what I did to extract just the information I wanted. So as I said to you before, if all I wanted was the post title and the date, I just write a, a query that says, give me the post title and the date from this table in date order. And that run the query, export that to CSV, and I've got it in Excel. You can also do things like managing your tables here. So you can create new tables, you can rename tables, and you can delete tables. I think, I personally think it's an invaluable tool. It's come on a long way since I first used it a couple of years ago. And for me, it's now a critical tool in my database management and website management toolkit. So that is SQL Pro. We'll put a link to uh, where you can get it from in the show notes. Excellent. Do you remember way back in the early days of MacBytes when we had Switcher's Corner? I'll never forget it. I'm resurrecting it. Brace yourself. <laughs> ah, crap! <laughs> it might be better to call it Challenge of the Week, but uh, I was challenged this week, wasn't I? You were. Oh, yes. I acquired only temporarily, don't panic, a PC belonging to the daughter of a friend. It had, um, oh, what's the best way to, to explain it? Died a death? Yeah. Actually, more accurately, it had become disinclined to let her log in. Pretty fundamental when there was only one user account. So you would turn it on and a suitable time later, probably about 20 minutes, Windows 7 booted up and there it was, you know, hello, Click here to log in. And when you did, put your password in, nothing. It just came back and said, um, log on service failure, which isn't great. Bit of Googling. It's a corrupt account, maybe. Or it could be it's looking for a domain server. And, you know, how a domain server works is you put the password in and instead of it checking the local machine for the veracity of this password, it passes it off to a domain server for that. But this had never been on a domain. So it looked like it was um, a corrupt user account. No way round that with only one account on the machine. Annoyingly, my first thought was, wouldn't have happened if there hadn't have been a password on the account. Now, when I had Windows, I had a single account. I couldn't be bothered putting passwords and stuff in, so I had it just bypass that. So it probably wouldn't have happened to us, would it? No. But, you know, you tell people, don't you, to be secure. And that was the downfall of this thing. So, mm, made me think about normal people. You know what I mean? Normal people. I do. Mm, muggles. Normal people. Probably not like us. Not like the MacBiters. Not like people who have... And a notion that they should probably be backing up. But normal people probably don't back up, do they? And if they do, they probably don't do it regularly enough. Don't you think? I think you're right. Yes, guess what? They probably don't have a disaster recovery plan either. I actually do. That's sad, isn't it? But I do. Uh, yes, so most people flying without the aid of a safety net. Now, what's the first question you've got here then? What's your first question, Mike? What's my first question? You're stumped already, aren't you? Yes. Was there anything important on it? Hmm. Yes. Five years of photos, three years of a degree work, an entire music collection and all the documents. <laughs> no pressure then. Should you have 
more than one user account for such situations. I know when I first got a Mac and I had no clue what I was doing, there was a thing called Applejack. Do you remember that? It was, from memory, it was a way to get into a Mac. You know, Applejack as in hijack. As I read round the subject, most advice seemed to be create an admin account and then create a user account and only use the user account. I must admit I didn't do that. I'm claiming with my first Mac I had no idea I should do that. So what I did was I created um, the initial user account, which is an admin user, and then just left it alone. And everything luckily happened to be fine. But even when I read that advice, I thought, I'm not seeing the logic of that. Because when my dad got his Mac, I did make the main admin account my account and I created an account for him. I mean, that was only logical the way he went on. Do you remember when he kept adding icons to the dock and more importantly, losing them from the dock yes. so I had to lock the dock? I can see in those circumstances it, it makes sense. But if you're the main person who's using the machine, the, the fact that you'd have two accounts seemed illogical to me. And when I was updating his machine, it was a nightmare. Every time you came to do something, it stopped and asked for an administrator's password. And I remember thinking I could not be doing with this on a regular basis if I'd followed this advice of making a secondary account. So I must admit this this business of having two accounts didn't really appeal. What I'd not considered was getting locked out of, of my single account, at which point if there did happen to be a secondary admin account, at least that's a way into the machine, isn't it? True. Mm. You don't have to use that secondary account. You could still have it defaulting to log on with the other one. But you know what? I still didn't do it. And I know you didn't, did you? No. Is this because we consider that we know enough to not take our own advice? I guess so. <laughs> mm. This was when I thought, finally, it's been a while, but finally I can really see the benefit of Time Machine. I remember saying, if Dad was using his desktop machine more than his laptop, but you know, once he got a laptop, that was it, he was, he was away. If he was using his desktop machine, I would definitely have probably not bought a time machine, but I would have got an external drive and set it up as a time machine. Because all this data, this, oh, believe you me, I think there's about 35, 36 gigs worth of critical data was all nesting quite happily in the documents folder. Yes, the one we couldn't get to, that one. But it was all in the same place. And I think that's when Time Machine is awesome. They, but it doesn't work on a PC, does it? There's no way you could get like a little Time Machine app from Apple and make it work. And I no. don't think there's anything equivalent. Not that, not that does it behind the scenes without some kind of interference from you. Which is quite strange, really, because the virus protection does do that. So it would be nice if there was an app. Oh, we do you know there'll be a map basher out there who knows there is. If you do, do let me know. Uh, you know, for a PC that you could just install this app and then it just backs up to it. But anyway, it was far beyond that. It was virtually terminal. Um, so I thought, right. Next step. Cloud storage. Mm. Had a Dropbox account, three files in it. <laughs> that wasn't going to work then either, was it? I think people are put off cloud storage. You know, this the perception of it not being secure. Mm. I mean, all those celeb nudes didn't help, did they? You see, no. this is why self is a spawn of the devil. Um, but to be honest, even if they did, I bet you'd have some kind of password problems then. 
you know, like you forget your password or two-factor or something, and there'd be an issue with that. So I don't think, given it's a PC, there is a nice, easy solution. You know, what should have been put in place, I don't think it's as easy as a Mac. I think with a Mac, you know, when you when you go in and you buy your Mac, they'll probably try and sell you a time machine or at least tell you about it. And I think most people would be well advised to accept that advice, don't you? I do. Yeah. I'm still not taking that advice uh, only because my documents aren't within my main hard drive. So they're already on an external drive and that's already getting backed up other ways. So I still, for me, wouldn't bother with the time machine. But point I'm making is I can see it would be a fine solution, particularly for somebody with a PC that was rather ill. Mm. Anyway, was there a happy ending is what I want to know. Or did it need a chisel, you mean? Yes. Mm. Of course it had a happy ending. What would you take me for? The worst thing for me was trying to recall the basics of using Windows from nine years ago. You know, seriously, where's the start button again? Luckily, it wasn't Windows 8, which doesn't have the start. Well, it does, kind of. No, this was Windows 7. Um, I hacked my way back in. So um, it was a case of boot disks and um, BIOS settings. And um, oh yes, looking at a DOS screen was quite alarming after nine years. But no, I hacked my way back in and first job was to extract the data. So I thought, well, that's got to be fairly simple, hasn't it? There's about 36 gig of it, but I've got a pen drive and my pen drive got eaten. <laughs> I know you're thinking strange. No, it did. I'd never had much luck with pen drives on Windows. Do you remember we had some video from somebody on a pen drive? And luckily I'd made a copy before we tried accessing it. I remember that. Because the pen drive just, just died to death. It, it yeah. wouldn't have it. So, um, yeah, my pen drive didn't work. It started to copy stuff across and then it, it just seemed to corrupt itself. So um, my next trick was uh, this machine. It was a laptop, 17-inch laptop. It was awesome. It had every port known to mankind on it, including a card reader. So I thought, I've got a 128 gig card. I'll slip that in there and take the data out to that. So I tried doing that, and that ended up the same fate as the pen drive. And I, I started getting worried at that point. I thought, why does this keep happening to me? So I thought, well... The card, now, I put the card back in the Mac and it couldn't read it. So I thought, yeah, it's corrupted it, which is exactly what happened with the pen drive. So I thought, I'll deal with that later. So I left that on one side. I thought about using a proper external drive, but that's easier than it sounds. Because obviously Windows works with NTFS as the file system and a Mac doesn't. And all my drives are formatted to Mac OS X Extended. So I thought, well, I'm not going to reformat a drive just to attempt to do this. And, you know, given how, what had happened to the pen drive. So I thought the best way to do this is just put it on the network. Yes, I know. Windows machine on a network. Well, I tried that and um, wouldn't have that either. Because the Wi-Fi wasn't playing ball, it was just non-existent. So I looked at it and handily, you know, back to ports on a computer. It had a genuine full-sized network port. So I plugged a cable in. I made another network. I, didn't, I decided against plugging it into mine because at this stage, I hadn't actually managed to get into the thing properly. So it could have had a virus on it as well. So I made another network and plugged it in and got in that way. So got the data off. Then it was a matter of creating a new account, then copying the, the user data over to it. So all of these, um, the music files, the pictures, the college work, etc., pushed all that over, 
Uh, and I copied it over because I intended to leave the original account. And I came across a problem I haven't seen in over nine years. Do you ever try copying something on Windows and you get a message saying that it's more than 256 characters? I've had that before. Yeah, I've had customers with that. What it means is from the root of the C drive, you'd have C colon backslash slash uh, users slash my username slash my documents slash documents slash more documents slash more documents. If the entire path, including the file name, is longer than 256 characters, you can forget it. It, it just it won't do it. And what had happened was uh, by this stage, I'd created the new user account and I'd put a number on the end. So we had like, you know, the Fred account and Fred, Fred 2. And that one character had done it. So I looked at this and thought, oh, darn it. <clears throat> Possibly those weren't exactly the right words, but the, the inference was there. And what I had to do was change, manually change the names of the files to get those transferred back as well. Then once I'd done all of that, I added another account which was a management account. So I set this um, management account to be an admin of the machine and then just left it there. Didn't intend to do anything with it other than if there is another problem with the machine, there is already a management account to get into the thing. What I did think was most concerning, and I know Apple work like this now, so it's just as concerning. There were no install media, just a recovery partition, which is completely and utterly useless if the hard drive fails. Luckily, in this case, the hard drive hadn't failed. But I mean, it was just as serious as a hard drive fail if you can't get in for the security, isn't it? Yeah. So I thought, well, you must be able to buy it or you must be able to download it because I did have um, a key, an activation, not an activation key, but a product key. Found that lurking under the battery. <laughs> There's logic for you. You have to dismantle a thing to find the activation key. So I followed the link on there to, for, for acquiring media to find out you can actually get the media. I don't know how much it was because I didn't get that far. I only got as far as the bit that said only in the US and Canada. At which point, uh, blue. Mm. Yes, let's not get going on that one, hey. I had to give up at that point, no. Uh, what you are supposed to be able to do, which is clever, it's built in, you are supposed to be able to make this media if you need it. So there is an application on there. This this machine happened to be a Dell, but an application on there that would handhold you through the creation of the media, which I was intending to do. Ended up not doing it. It didn't seem to like the DVDs. It wouldn't verify the DVDs. It burnt the first one, but then it wouldn't verify it. It, it did that twice. So I thought, well, obviously the TDK discs that work on my Mac, and Dell doesn't like them. So I had to leave that bit. But I do think that's ludicrous. I think there is still... It would cost them a few pounds to put a pen drive in there, a recovery pen drive. Instead of which, I reckon they could be possibly fleecing people who need to rebuild it, which I think is criminal. But yes, it did have a happy ending. She's a very happy girl now. Very happy girl. Got it all back. Anyway, moving swiftly along. It's that time. Brace yourself, Jane. It's time for... Mac Love Bites. Ooh, this one is all the way from the other side of the world, New Zealand. I love the simple technology of podcasts, just an audio file in an RSS feed, and it's enabled me to meet and converse with some of the most engaging people on the planet. Podcasts are the second best thing the internet has brought us, after cat videos. And that's from <laughs> Alistair Jenks. 
Got to agree, actually, because last weekend we spoke with Alistair on a podcast he was hosting. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yes, it was an early morning start for him and a rather late night for us. Um, but it meant that we had a great discussion about training and you can check that out in Mozillacast 515. We also threatened to drag him onto a MacBytes. Do you think he's ready for MacBytes Siri? I'm always impeccably behaved. It's you to that takes some managing. Well, thanks for sharing your podcast love with us all. Oh, and your somewhat dubious passion for cat videos too. Well, that's it for this episode of Mac Rights. We'd love to hear from you. So uh, the website, Facebook, Google Plus, and of course, Twitter, twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesSiri. So until the next time, this has been Mike and Elaine bringing you MacBytes. As you all know by now, the MacBytes schedule has always been somewhat flexible, shall we say. Our last show was back in November and we had great plans to reach the magic 100th show by Christmas. Circumstances dictated otherwise, though. Christmas is our favourite time of the year and it's when we take our longest holiday. The planning started in June, the Christmas film watching in July, the present buying in August and the present wrapping in September. Traditionally, Christmas morning is a riot of presents. Nothing extravagant doesn't need to be. The gift giving pales into insignificance in anticipation of the paper fight. It's a ritual that's grown in magnitude and enormity every year until the entire family are waist deep in paper and lying in an exhausted heap. Well, the preparations were in full swing when the MacBytes mum began to feel a little bit more tired than usual. A pocket rocket of action, she was never still, always ruling the roost. Just shy of 80 and still decorating the house while planning for Christmas, just watching her warm me out. She was never ill and she hadn't seen a GP in over 20 years, and I'm sure that even then it was for a passport form and not for treatment. Well, the day Mike and I finished work for Christmas, the 9th of December, we managed to persuade her to have a doctor to visit. He wanted her admitted to hospital for tests. She agreed as long as she could come straight home afterwards, feisty as ever. Once there, though, she did need treatment and she begrudgingly agreed to stay the night. We were relieved that she was getting help, but sadly, the relief was short-lived. We returned the next day to the devastating news that she only had days left. Words just couldn't describe the shock. We dropped everything, and that included our annual MacBytes Advent event. We sent a mail sharing our predicament to the MacBytes mail subscribers, and you were nothing short of amazing. We were instantly inundated with good wishes, prayers, offers of help, medical advice, and more. And we can't thank you enough. It meant the world to us, and we know that it did to Mum too. Although she never appeared on the show, she listened to every episode and always said that although she shouldn't have a favourite, she did. And that was MacBytes Siri. She had excellent taste. She certainly did. And of course, there was that vicarious appearance with the tale of fish and tips back in show 71. Yes, explaining the jazzling to your mother. I can't recommend it highly enough for getting inventive with the English language. She really was an amazing lady. Back at 17, I was ready for independence. Through sheer determination, I learnt to drive and passed my driving test within six weeks. Why the rush? Well, I was resolute in my intention to attend a summer concert in Milton Keynes. You two were topping a bill, including R.E.M., the Ramones, Billy Bragg and more. To me, I was going. To my father, I wasn't going. 
Mum was there, the voice of reason, the purveyor of compromise. Her solution? I was going. Caveat? She was coming with me. Dad was doubly mortified, but he knew when he was beaten. Travelling Friday, concert Saturday, returning Sunday. What trouble could we possibly get into? Well, the first issue was the six-hour traffic jam on the M1. We arrived at the hotel late and exhausted. Mum went to book us in. She returned with what could only be described as a glint in her eye. I was worried the room had gone given the time, but no. Mum had told the receptionist we'd had a bad journey and we were looking forward to an early night recovering. The receptionist had visibly paled and explained that there was a big concert on in town the next day and, wait for it, the bands were staying in the hotel. She said she hoped we wouldn't be disturbed. Disturbed? Second wind, more like. Twenty minutes later, we were in our glad rags, in the bar, sharing the night with some of the biggest bands of the day. And if you've not seen your mother party the night away with Michael Stipe and a pet chicken in a cage, you've not lived. She was a great lady. She was ahead of her time programming computers back when punch cards were state of the art. She was actually a geek before there was a word for being a geek. But back to that fateful day in December. As soon as she heard the diagnosis, she asked to come home. Mum only had one final wish, and that was simply to die at home with those who loved her most, and that she did. Mum died peacefully at home on the 23rd of December, in our arms. With Dad, Maya, and now Mum, passing in only 15 short months, we've gone from a busy family of five sharing a large house, to me spending most of the week rattling around it alone. The impact has been huge. But as you've heard in the show, we're getting there. So once again, thanks for all your very kind thoughts. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. 